0: Section 16 of Selections of the History of the Franks This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Selections of the History of the Franks by Gregory of Tours Translated by Ernest Briot Book 10, Chapters 15-31 to Chapter 15 the scandal, which, by the help of the devil, had arisen in the monastery at Poitiers, was growing worse every day. And Croudilde, footnote, daughter of King Charibert, she had seceded from the monastery with a large following of nuns, and was at this time at Saint Hilary's Church at Poitiers, and a footnote, was sitting all prepared for strife, having gathered to herself, as I have said above murderers, sorcerers, adulterers, runaway slaves, and men guilty of all other crimes. And so she gave orders to them to break into the monastery at night and drag the abbess from it. But the latter heard the uproar coming and asked to be carried to the chest containing the relics of the Holy Cross. Footnote. The monastery was called the Monastery of the Holy Cross. and a footnote. For she was painfully troubled with gout, thinking that she would be kept safe by their aid. Accordingly, when the men had entered and lit the candles, and were hurrying with weapons ready here and there through the monastery looking for her, they went into the oratory, and found her lying on the ground before the chest of the Holy Cross. Thereupon, one who was fiercer than the rest, having come on purpose to commit this crime, namely, to cleave the abbess in two with a sword, was given a knife stab by another, the divine providence aiding in this, I suppose. The blood gushed out, and he fell to the ground without fulfilling the vow he had foolishly made. Meanwhile, Justina, footnote, Gregory's niece, and a footnote, the prioress, and the other sisters had taken the cloth of the altar which was before the Lord's cross, and covered the abbess with it, putting the lights out at the same time. But the men came with drawn swords and spears, and tore the nuns' clothes, and almost crushed their hands, and seized the prioress instead of the abbess, since it was dark, and pulled her robes off, and tore her hair down, and dragged her out, and carried her off to place her under guard at St. Hilary's church. But as the dawn was coming on, they perceived when near the church that it was not the abbess, and presently they told the woman to return to the monastery. They returned too, and seized the abbess and dragged her away and confined her near St. Hilary's church in a place where Basina lodged, footnote, one of Crodill's faction, daughter of King Hilperic, and a footnote, setting guards at the door, so that no one should give aid to the captive. At the next twilight, they entered the monastery, and when they found no candles to light, they took a cask from the storehouse, which had been pitched and left to dry, and set fire to it. And there was a great light while it burned, and they made plunder of all the furniture in the monastery, leaving only what they were unable to carry off. This happened seven days before Easter. And as the bishop was distressed at all this, and could not calm the strife of the devil, he sent to Crotilde, saying, Let the abbess go, so that she shall not be kept in prison during these days. Otherwise, I will not celebrate the Lord's Easter festival, nor shall any catechumen receive baptism in the city, unless you order the abbess to be set free from the confinement in which she is held. And if you refuse to let her go, I will call the citizens together and rescue her. When he said this, Crowdild appointed assassins, saying, If anyone tries to carry her off by violence, give her a thrust with the sword at once. Now Flavian came in those days. He had lately been appointed domesticus, and by his aid the abbess entered St. Hilary's church and was free. Meantime, murders were being committed at the holy Radigundas' tomb. Footnote, daughter of Berthar, a Thuringian king, and the wife of the I. and of footnote. And certain persons were hacked to death in a disturbance before the very chest that contained the relics of the Holy Cross. And since this madness increased daily because of Crodeald's pride, and continual murders and other deeds of violence, such as I have mentioned above, were being done by her faction, and she had become so swollen up with boastfulness that she looked down with lofty contempt upon her own cousin Basina, the latter began to repent and say, I have done wrong in supporting haughty Crodild. Behold, I am an object of contempt to her, and I am made to appear a rebel against my abbess. She changed her course and humbled herself before the abbess, and asked for peace with her, and they were equally of one thought and purpose. Then, when the outrages broke out again, the men who were with the abbess while resisting an attack which Crodill's followers had made, wounded one of Basina's men, who fell dead. But the abbess's men took refuge behind the abbess in the church of the confessor, and on this account, Basina left the abbess and departed. But the men fled a second time, and the abbess and Basina entered again into friendly relations as before. Afterward, many feuds arose between these factions, and who could ever set forth in words such wounds, such killings, and such wrongdoings where scarcely a day passed without a murder or an hour without a quarrel or a moment without tears. King Hildebert heard of this, and sent an embassy to King Gunthram to propose that bishops of both kingdoms should meet and punish these actions in accordance with the canons. And King Hildebert ordered my humble self to sit on this case, together with Ebergeisel of Cologne, and Marovius himself, Bishop of Poitiers. And King Gunthram, send gundikisil of bordeaux with his provincials since he was the metropolitan of this city but i began to object saying i will not go to this place unless the rebellion which has arisen because of Crodield is forcibly put down by the judge for this reason a command was sent to Marco, who was then count in which he was ordered to put the rebellion down by force if they should resist Crodield heard of this, and ordered her assassins to stand armed before the door of the oratory, thinking they would fight against the judge, and if he wished to use force, they would resist with equal force. So it was necessary for this count to go there with armed men, and to beat some with clubs, and pierce others with spears, and when they resisted fiercely, he had to attack and overwhelm them with the sword. When Crodild saw this, She took the Lord's cross, the miraculous power of which she had before despised, and came out to meet them, saying, Do no violence to me, I beg of you, for I am a queen, daughter of one king and cousin of another. Don't do it, lest the time may come for me to take vengeance on you. But the throng paid little heed to what she said, but rushed, as I have said, upon those who were resisting, and bound them, and dragged them from the monastery, and tied them to stakes, and beat them fiercely, and cut off the hair of some, the hands of others, and in a good many cases the ears and nose, and the rebellion was crushed, and there was peace. Then the bishops who were present sat on the tribunal of the church, and Crodilt appeared, and gave vent to much abuse of the abbess and many charges, asserting that she had a man in the monastery who wore woman's clothes and was treated as a woman, although he had been very clearly shown to be a man, and that he was in constant attendance on the abbess herself. And she pointed her finger at him and said, There he is himself. And when this man had taken the stand before all in woman's clothes, as I have stated, He said that he was impotent, and therefore had put these clothes on, but he did not know the abbess except by name, and he asserted that he had never seen her or spoken with her, as he lived more than forty miles from the city of Poitiers. Then, as she had not proved the abbess guilty of this crime, she added, what holiness is there in this abbess who makes men eunuchs and orders them to live with her as if she were an empress? The abbess, being questioned, replied that she knew nothing of this matter. Meantime, when Crodild had given the name of the man who was a eunuch, Rioval, the chief physician appeared and said, This man, when he was a child, was diseased in the thigh and was so ill that his life was despaired of his mother went to the Holy Radigunda to request that he should have some attention, but she called me and bade me give what assistance I could. Then I castrated him in the way I had once seen physicians do in Constantinople and restored the boy in good health to his sorrowing mother. I am sure the abbess knows nothing of this matter. Now, when Crodilt had failed to prove the abbess guilty of this charge also, she began fiercely to make others. But I have decided that it is better to insert the charges and the rebuttals of each in my narrative just as they are contained in the decision which was given as regards these same persons. Chapter 16. Copy of the Decision To the most glorious kings the bishops who are present send greetings. By God's favor, Religion properly discloses her causes to the pious and orthodox kings who are given to the people and to whom the country is granted, knowing well that through the mediation of the Holy Spirit she is made a partner in the decree of the rulers and is supported by it. And whereas, in accordance with the command of your majesties, we are assembled at Poitiers on account of the situation in the monastery of Radegunda of Holy Memory, in order to take cognizance at first hand of the disputes between the abbess of the said monastery and the nuns who left the flock for no sound reason. We summoned the parties and interrogated Crowdelt and Basina as to why they had so boldly departed contrary to the rule, breaking the doors of the monastery, and why the United Congregation had at this time been broken in two. In answer, they asserted that they could not endure any longer the risk of starvation, nakedness, and above all of beating, and they added also that several men had bathed in their bath contrary to decency, and that the abbess played games, and that worldly persons dined with her, and that a betrothal had actually taken place in the monastery, that she had impiously made a dress for her niece out of a silk altar cloth, and that she had frivolously taken the golden leaves which were on the border of the altar cloth and sinfully hung them about her niece's neck, and she had made a fillet with gold ornaments for her niece without any need for it, and that she had a masquerade in the monastery, We asked the abbess what she had to answer to this, and she said that, as to the complaints about starvation, they had never endured too great privation considering the poverty of the time. And as to clothes, she said that if one were to examine their boxes, he would find that they had more than necessary. And as to the charge about the bath, she related that the bath had been built in the time of Lent and that on account of the disagreeable smell of the limestone, in order that the newness of the building might not do harm to the bathers, Lady Radegunda had given orders for the servants of the monastery to use it as a common thing until all harmful odor had disappeared. It had been in common use by the servants through Lent and until Pentecost. To this, Crowdeald answered, and later on in the same way many men bathed at different times the abbess replied that she did not approve of what they reported but she did not know whether it was true moreover she found fault with them for not informing the abbess if they had seen it as to the games she played she answered that she had played when lady redigunda was alive and it was not regarded as a sin and she said that neither in the rule nor the canons was there any reference in writing to their prohibition however at the order of the bishops she promised that she would bow her head and do whatever penance should be demanded as to the dinners she said that she had introduced no new custom but had merely offered the blessed bread to orthodox christians as had been done under lady redigunda and it could not be proved against her that she had ever dined with them. As to the betrothal, she said that she had received the earnest money in behalf of her niece, an orphan girl, in the presence of the bishop, the clergy, and the leading men, and if this was a sin, she would ask for pardon in the presence of all. However, not even on that occasion had she made a feast in the monastery. In answer to the charge about the altar cloth, she brought forward a nun of noble family, who had given her as a gift a silk robe she had received from her relatives, and she had cut off a part of this to do what she wished with it, and from the rest, which was sufficient, she had made a suitable cloth to adorn the altar, and she used the scraps left over from the altar cloth to trim her niece's tunic with purple and she said she gave this to her niece when she was serving in the monastery. All this was confirmed by Didymia, who had given the robe. As to the leaves of gold and the fillet adorned with gold, she offered Mako, your servant, who is here, as a witness, since it was by his hand that she received twenty pieces of gold from the betrothed of the said girl her niece, from which she had purchased these articles openly and the property of the monastery was not involved in it at all. Crodilt and Basina were asked whether perchance they imputed adultery to the abbess, which God forbid, or whether they could say she had committed a murder or a sorcery or a capital crime for which she should be punished. They replied that they had nothing to say to this, they only asserted that she had acted contrary to the rule in the matters they had mentioned. Finally, they said that nuns whom we believed to be innocent were with child because of these faults, namely, that the doors were broken open and the wretched women were at liberty to do what they would for many months without discipline from their abbess. When we had discussed these charges in order, and had found no wrong-doing for which to degrade the abbess, we gave her a fatherly admonition for the pardonable faults she had committed, and urged her not to incur any reproof later. Then we inquired into the case of the opposing party, who had committed greater crimes, that is to say, who, when within the monastery, had despised the warning of their bishop not to go forth in despite of their bishop, And had left him in the monastery under the greatest contempt, and had broken the bars and doors and foolishly departed, involving other nuns in their sin. Moreover, when the archbishop Gondicisil, with his provincials, had received notice of this case, and come to Poitiers by order of the king, and had summoned them to a hearing at the monastery, they disregarded his summons and when the bishop went to them at the church of St. Hilary the Confessor, where they were staying, going to them, as is seemly for anxious pastors to do, while they were receiving the admonition of the bishops, a disturbance arose, and they attacked the bishops and their attendants with clubs, and even shed the blood of deacons within the church. Then, when the venerable priest telthar by command of the princess came to judge this case and the time for rendering the judgment had been fixed they did not wait for it but attacked the monastery like rebels setting fire to casks in the courtyard and breaking the doors with crowbars and axes and setting fire and beating and wounding nuns in the very oratories within the walls and plundering the monastery and stripping the clothes off the abbess, and tearing her hair, and dragging her violently through the streets in derision, and thrusting her into a place where, although not in fetters, she was not free. And when the festival of Easter came, which is always honored, the bishop offered a ransom for the prisoner, so that she could aid in baptism, but his entreaty could not secure this for any consideration. Crowdild answered that she had neither known of such a crime nor ordered it, adding further that it was at a sign from her that the abbess was not killed by her people, from which we may be confident in inferring that they were becoming more cruel. And they had killed a slave of their own monastery who was fleeing to the blessed Radigunda's tomb, and instead of improving, had gone deeper into crime, and later, they entered the monastery and took possession of it, and at the order of the kings to produce the rebels in public, they refused to obey, and rather took up arms against the king's command, and wickedly rose with arrows and lances against the count and the people. Then, lately, when they appeared for a public hearing, they took the holy and most sacred cross secretly and wrongfully, which they were later forced to restore to the Church. Having taken cognizance of so many capital crimes and of a wickedness that was not restrained but continually increased, we told them that they should beg the abbess for pardon for their sin and restore what they had wrongfully taken. But they were unwilling to do this, but talked rather of killing her, a design they admitted in public. Then we opened and read the canons, and it seemed most just that until they made a suitable repentance they should be excommunicated and the abbess should continue permanently in her place. This is what we suggest should be done in accordance with your command, as far as the interests of the church are concerned, having read the canons and having made no distinction of persons. For the rest, As to the property of the monastery and the deeds given by the kings, your kinsmen, which have been stolen, and which they say they have, but disregard our orders and fail to return, it belongs to your piety, your power, and royal authority to compel them to be returned to their place in order that your reward and that of the previous kings may continue forever. Do not permit them to return, Or think of returning again to the place which they so impiously and sacrilegiously destroyed, lest worse may come. With the aid of the Lord, let all be wholly restored and returned to God under the Catholic kings. Let religion lose nothing. Let the decision of the fathers and the canons be maintained and be of profit to us for worship and bring you gain. May Christ the Lord support and guide you. May he bestow on you a long reign and the blessed life. Chapter 17 After this, when the decision was made known, and they were excommunicated, and the abbess restored to the monastery, they went to King Hildebert, adding crime to crime, naming forsooth certain persons to the king who not only lived in adultery with the abbess, but also sent messengers daily to his enemy Fredegunde. On hearing this, the king sent men to bring them in chains, but when they were examined and no wrongdoing was found, they were let go. Chapter 18. Attempt on the life of Hildebert. Chapter 19. Bishop Egidius is removed from office. Chapter 20. Basina and Crodild are pardoned. Chapter 21. Wado's sons are punished. Chapter 22. Death of Hilderic. Chapter 23. In this year there was such a light shed over the earth in the night that one would think it midday. Moreover, balls of fire were frequently noticed at night speeding across the sky and lighting the world. There was doubt about Easter for the reason that Victor wrote in his cycle, that Easter came on the fifteenth day of the moon. But to prevent Christians from celebrating this festival at the same time of the moon as the Jews, he added, but the Latins place it on the twenty-second of the moon. For this reason, many in Gaul celebrate it on the fifteenth of the moon, but we celebrate it on the twenty-second. We made careful inquiry, but the springs in Spain which are filled by a divine power were filled at our Easter. There was a great earthquake on the eighteenth day before the calends of the fifth month, being the fourth day of the week, early in the morning when the dawn was coming. The sun was eclipsed in the middle of the eighth month, and its light was so diminished that it scarcely gave as much light as the horns of the moon on the fifth day. There were heavy rains, loud thunders in the autumn, and the streams were very full. The bubonic plague cruelly destroyed the people of Vivier and Avignon. Chapter 24 An Armenian bishop visits Tours and tells the story of the destruction of Antioch. Chapter 25 Now in the Gauls, the disease I have mentioned attacked the province of Marseille, and a great famine oppressed Angers, Nantes, and These are the beginning of sorrows, according to what the Lord says in the Gospel. There shall be pestilence and famines and earthquakes in different places, and false Christs and false prophets shall arise and give signs and prodigies in the heavens, so as to put the elect astray, as is true at the present time. For a certain man of Bourges, as he himself told later, went into the deep woods to cut logs which he needed for a certain work, and a swarm of flies surrounded him, as a result of which he was considered crazy for two years, whence it may be believed that they were a wickedness sent by the devil. Then he passed through the neighboring cities and went to the province of Arles, and there wore skins and prayed like one of the devout, and to make a fool of him, The enemy gave him the power of divination. After this, he rose from his place and left the province mentioned in order to become more expert in wickedness and entered the territory of Gévaudin, conducting himself as a great man and not afraid to say that he was Christ. He took with him a woman who passed as his sister and to whom he gave the name of Mary. A multitude of people flocked to him bringing the sick, whom he touched and restored to health. They who came to him brought him also gold and silver and garments. These he distributed among the poor to deceive them the more easily, and throwing himself on the ground and praying with the woman I have mentioned and rising, he would give orders to bystanders to worship him in turn. He foretold the future and announced that disease would come to some, to others' losses, and to others' health. But all this he did by some arts and trickeries of the devil. A great multitude of people was led astray by him, not only the common folk, but bishops of the church. More than three thousand people followed him. Meanwhile he began to spoil and plunder those he met on the road. The booty, however, he gave to those who had nothing. He threatened with death bishops and citizens, because they disdained to worship him. He entered La Vallée and went to the place called Puy, and halted with all his host at the churches near there, marshalling his line of battle to make war on Aurelius who was then bishop, and sending messengers forward, naked men who danced and played and announced his coming. The bishop was amazed at this, and sent strong men to ask what his doings meant. One of these, the leader, bent down as if to embrace his knees and check his passage, and the impostor ordered him to be seized and spoiled. But the other at once drew his sword and cut him into bits, and that Christ, who ought rather to be named Antichrist, fell dead, and all who were with him dispersed. Mary was tortured and revealed all his impostures and deceits, but the men whom he had excited to a belief in him by the trickery of the devil, never returned to their sound senses, but they always said that this man was Christ in a sense, and that Mary had a share in his divine nature. Moreover, through all the Gauls many appeared who attracted poor women to themselves by trickery, and influenced them to rave and declare their leaders holy, and they made a great show before the people. I have seen some of them and have rebuked them and endeavoured to recall them from error. Chapter 26. A Syrian traitor, Eusebius, becomes bishop of Paris. Chapter 27. Among the Franks of Tournai a great feud arose, because the son of one often angrily rebuked the son of another who had married his sister for leaving his wife and visiting a prostitute. And when reform on the part of the guilty men did not follow, the anger of the youth became so great that he rushed upon his brother-in-law and killed him and his men, and was himself killed by his opponents, and there was only one left from both parties who lacked a slayer. Upon this the kinsmen on both sides raged at one another, but were frequently urged by Queen Fredegunde to give up their enmity and become friends lest their persistence in the quarrel might cause a greater disturbance. But when she failed to reconcile them with gentle words, she tamed them on both sides with the axe. For she invited many to a feast, and caused these three to sit on the same bench, and when the dinner had been prolonged until night covered the earth, the table was taken away according to the custom of the Franks, and they sat on the bench in their places. Much wine had been drunk, and they were so overcome by it that the slaves were intoxicated and were lying asleep in the corners of the house, each where he fell. Then, by the woman's orders, three men with axes stood behind these three, and while they were talking together, the hands of the men flashed in a single blow, so to speak, and they were struck down, and the banquet ended." Their names were Harivald, Leodovald, and Walden. When this was told to their kinsmen, they began to watch Fredegunda closely and sent messengers to King Hildebert to seize her and put her to death. The people of Champagne were angry because of this matter, but while Hildebert was interposing delay, she was saved by the help of her people and hastened to another place. Chapter 28 Baptism of Clothar Chapter 29 Miracles of the Abbot Aridius Chapter 30 The Plague Chapter 31 The Bishops of Tours from the Beginning to Gregory The nineteenth was I, unworthy Gregory, who found the Church of Tours in which the Blessed Martin and the other bishops of the Lord were consecrated in the pontifical office, shattered and ruined by fire. I rebuilt it larger and higher, and dedicated it in the seventeenth year after being ordained, and in it, as I learned from the old priests, the relics of the blessed Maurice and his companions had been placed by the ancients. I found the very box in the treasury of the Church of St. Martin, and in it the relics, greatly decayed, which had been brought because of their miraculous power. And while vigils were being kept in their honor, I wished to visit them again by the light of a torch, and I was examining them intently when the keeper of the church said to me, Here is a stone with a cover, but I don't know what it has in it, and I haven't been able to learn from my predecessors who have had charge here Let me bring it, and you look carefully to see what it contains. I took it and opened it, of course, and found a silver box containing relics of the witnesses of the Blessed Legion, as well as of many saints, both martyrs and confessors. We also found other stones hollow like this one, containing relics of the holy apostles and the rest of the martyrs. I wondered at this bounty divinely given and after giving thanks, keeping vigil, and saying mass, I placed them in the cathedral. I placed the relics of the holy martyrs Cosmas and Damian in St. Martin's cell close to the cathedral. I found the walls of the Holy Church consumed by fire and ordered skilful workmen to repaint and adorn them with their former splendor. I had a baptistry built close by the church, where I placed the relics of the holy martyrs John and Sergius, and in what had been the baptistry, I placed the relics of the martyr Benignus, And in many localities in the territory of Tours, I dedicated churches and oratories and glorified them with relics of the saints, but I think it tiresome to speak of them in order. I wrote ten books of histories, seven of miracles, one on the lives of the fathers, a commentary in one book on Psalms, one book also on the services of the Church. And though I have written these books in a style somewhat rude, I nevertheless conjure you all, God's bishops, who are destined to rule the lowly Church of Tours after me, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the judgment day, feared by the guilty, if you will not be condemned with the devil and depart in confusion from the judgment, never cause these books to be destroyed or rewritten, selecting some passages and omitting others, but let them all continue in your time complete and undiminished, as they were left by us. And Bishop of God, whoever you may be, if our Marcianus has trained you in the seven disciplines, that is, if he has taught you by means of grammar to read, by dialectic to apprehend the arguments in disputes, by rhetoric to recognize the different meters, by geometry to comprehend the measurement of the earth and of lines, by astrology to contemplate the paths of the heavenly bodies, by arithmetic to understand the parts of numbers, by harmony, to fit the modulated voice to the sweet accents of the verse. If in all this you are practiced so that my style will seem rude, even so, I beg of you, do not efface what I have written. But if anything in these books pleases you, I do not forbid your writing it in verse, provided my work is left safe. I am finishing this work in the 21st year after my ordination. Although in what I have just written of the bishops of Tours, I have told their years, still this calculation does not agree with the total number of years because I have not been able to learn accurately the length of time between the different ordinations. Now, the grand total of years of the world is as follows. From the beginning to the flood, 2,242 years. From the flood to the crossing of the Red Sea by the children of Israel, 1,404 years. From the crossing of this sea to the resurrection of the Lord, 1,538 years. From the resurrection of the Lord to the death of St. Martin four hundred and twelve years from the death of Saint Martin to the year mentioned above namely the 21st year after my ordination which is also the fifth of Gregory Pope of Rome the 31st of King Gunthram and the 19th of Hildebert the second one hundred and ninety-seven years the grand total of which is five thousand seven hundred and ninety-two years here ends in christ's name the tenth book of the histories end of section 16.